This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel agency of Communicore Weekly. Email Communicore Weekly at fairygodmothertravel.com to book your vacation today. Again, that's fairygodmothertravel.com. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And you know what, you guys? George and I were just talking before the show started. I need to let you guys know something. He just started watching Lost. (laughs) So he's, like, at this point... Uh, he's seven years behind the rest of us. Well, we but we finished the first season. You know, we're binging it, of course. So that's not the way to do it. Oh, but it's exciting. It's awesome. It's fun. No, it's great. Yeah, it's fine. But you, I, I think oh. we should get up. If we get 50 tweets from people saying you should have to wait four <laughs> months to watch season two, you should have to wait four months to watch season two. They're going to have to talk to my angst-ridden 15-year-old. If they want me to wait four months. Listen, he... <laughs> that 15-year-old's not going to want to fight with the, with the internet. Nobody wants to fight with the internet, especially at 15. So oh, That's a good point. That's a good point. So, I, listen, over the next, I don't know, couple of months, I'm sure you'll hear some <laughs> lost references sprinkled into the episodes now that George will finally get what I'm talking about all this time. Well, yeah, until the uh, next season of Doctor Who starts. Yeah, well, I, I, we have a couple months for that, so we're in the clear. That's true. That's true. So. All right, so history time? Sure. History time. It's time for Disney History! In the summer of 1972, something magical, almost like a, a, a water unicorn, appeared in the what? Seven Seas Lagoon in Bay No, Light. no, I was, I was born in 1970. No, 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 I'm not talking about you, George. Oh, because I was like, you got the dates wrong. I, I was going to say, why would you be born in the Seven Seas Lagoon and slash or Bay Lake? I, I, I don't know. Right. So, what is this magical thing that's not George that I speak of? <laughs> of course, it's the World Cruise. I'm sorry, what's that, everyone? You, you've you never heard of it before? Well, that's okay, because most people have not heard of it before. You know, it was described in the July 1972 Walt Disney World News as this. World Cruise, our latest attraction. See all that Walt Disney World is and will be in an entirely new way with a paddle wheel steamboat world cruise around the vacation kingdom. Okay, so the Walt Disney World News article continued. Osceola class side wheelers make 50 minute cruises daily around both the Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake, giving guests an unprecedented opportunity to view all of Walt Disney World from the water. Along the way, guides explain future expansion programs planned for the vacation kingdom, including construction, of new Walt Disney World hotels and other attractions along the lakefront. Guests can also learn how Walt Disney World was created and how thousands of tons of earth were moved from the completely man-made 200-acre Seven Seas Lagoon. That sounds like an early episode of Communicore Weekly to me. (laughs) Basically, it was a Communicruise. That's what it was. It was the Communicruise. Oh, good idea. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So idea. where would you get this magical cruise from? Well, you had to be at the Magic Kingdom dock, directly in front of the, ma uh, the Main Street Railroad Station at either noon, or 1, or 2, or 3, or 4, or even 5 p.m. Now each cruise was 90 cents, or a single e-ticket. If you didn't eat yet, no worries, they had refreshments on the boat also. I mean, you may be wondering just what the heck an Osceola-class side-wheeling steamboat is. Well, us too, but that's mostly because Disney <laughs> just made the word up. <laughs> the, the two boats that uh, were doing the World Cruise were called the Port Call and the Southern Seas. These 100-foot-long Osceola-class steamboats were driven by a central gallows a-frame walking beam engine, and roughly modeled on similar famous riverboats like the Mary Powell. They were driven exclusively by side wheel paddle wheels and authentic in every regard, including temperamental steam engines. The boats started their life late in 1971, transported guests to and from the Magic Kingdom. Both the Ports of Call and the Southern Seas had been planned as charter cruise ships, so they already came with the facilities for the food and beverages. And the boats, the boats also had a taped spiel describing the sights of the vacation kingdom of the world. So there were no live guides, it was entirely taped. The, the actual the pilot of each boat, he would press a button to start the spiel, and it would play until it got to a high-pitched signal on the tape. And the signal, thankfully, was not heard by the guests, but it actually <laughs> caused the tape to stop. And it was up to the pilot to hit play again as they neared the next destination, so the tape would be play the uh, the next part of the narration. And you know, unfortunately, not all the pilots were uh, reliable in that regard, and they may have missed their cues. <laughs> so this went on until April 1974, when Walt Disney World opened their Treasure Island in the middle of Bay Lake. Disney's genius marketing team saw a new way to use the World Cruise. A 1974 promotional flyer advertising Treasure Island claimed that there were two ways to reach it, either by a direct sailing or aboard the World Cruise. It read, Steamboat Voyages, a visit to Treasure Island and the Walt Disney World Cruise, the story of the vacation kingdom past, present, and future departs from the World Cruise dock at the entrance to the Magic Kingdom daily. Adults, $2.50. Children, 3 to 11 $1.25. Last cruise departs at 4 o'clock. Now, when getting on either the Ports O'Call or the Southern Seas, guests received a World Cruise Passport to Treasure Island. Now, inside there was information about the boats, the voyage itself, and, you know, the usual uh, safety precautions. And there was also a map of the entire Walt Disney World Resort at the time, uh, showing the Magic Kingdom, the Contemporary Fort Wilderness, the TDC, the Golf Resort, and of course, the Polynesian Village. So in addition to their daytime activities, the World Cruises also doubled as a romantic evening cruise. Ooh. <laughs> that was almost in stereo frightening. It was. Yeah. So uh, named the Moonlight Cruise, this actually started in 1972. From a 1973 issue of Vacationland, it says, Guests who wish to cruise the waters of Walt Disney World after dark will have a lark on authentic paddle wheel steamboats which will depart twice nightly from both resort and hotel marinas and from the Fort Wilderness dock. The showboat cruises last approximately 90 minutes, and while costume, res costume hostesses serve refreshments, a Dixieland band entertains passengers with ragtime favorites. Now, for the rest of the 70s, the World Cruise and the Moonlight Cruise actually provided hours of relaxation to Walt Disney World guests. Now, these two attractions provided uh, recreation and nightlife to a very limited vacation kingdom. Now remember, this was before the days of Epcot Center uh, even, and the Magic Kingdom was rarely open past 6 p.m., and that was 
technically at that point a half day park. <laughs> I mean, there's no arguing. That. <laughs> so early Walt Disney World, they did emphasize relaxing activities to do out of the theme park environment at one point, like River Country or the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village and these cruises, and it really tied it all together as the vacation kingdom of the world. In 1974, the Southern Seas had suffered some major water damage to her hull and stayed out of service for about a year. In 1977, the original 1969 Southern Seas was destroyed and a new ship was built, the Southern Seas II. <laughs> How original for a name, right? Yeah. This version was actually 120 feet instead of just 100. It had many of the same elements of the original Southern Seas, but this time around, the engine was just decorative. The new boat ran on diesel, just like the ferry boats. Now, each of the two propulsion side panels could operate independently and in different directions, which allowed for uh, greater maneuverability in the water and also made it the only other boat on Disney property which could spin in circles like the Plaza Swan boats. Um, but uh, due to the increased capacity in the longer hull, the Southern Seas II was termed a seminal class steamship. Now, at the same time Treasure Island was rebuilt as Discovery Island, so the daytime attraction was named the World Cruise to Discovery Island. Things were good until 1982 when Epcot Center opened. Because the guests were centralized in the Magic Kingdom area for the first 11 years, the cruises were always full. When Epcot Center opened, guests were then sort of decentralized and all over the resort. Attendance for the cruises dropped to 50%. Since Epcot Center was open late, and with its wide variety of drinking options, more guests opted to go there as opposed to cruising around the Seven Seas Lagoon. Now, the Southern Seas II, uh, which then was still a fairly recent investment, uh, it was used exclusively for charter cruises in 1984. Now, these corporate programs were a huge, huge source of income for Disney, and they could charge $250 an hour to rent the boat out for meetings and conventions. And that was not including food, drink, and staffing, of course. So that was, you know, an extra surcharge. Wow. Uh, yeah, the Ports of Call, built in 1969, had suffered the same water leakage in the hull of the boat, which led to the destruction of the original Southern Seas. In 1984, the boat was hauled out of the water. Problems with the steam engine system compounded the problems, making repairs costly. Despite Watercraft cast members' efforts to have the Smithsonian Institution buy the boat to display as an exhibit on steam power, Disney destroyed the boat with a bulldozer. So, in 1996, the Southern Seas 2's, now long overdue for refurbishment, was put into dry dock. Now, with watercraft operations no longer using the boats on a daily basis, and the convention booking uh, un unwilling to actually finance the task, the steamboat was pretty much without a home. Uh, it was eventually destroyed in 1997, so then that was pretty much the end of live steam on the Seven Seas Lagoon, unfortunately, because everything at that point was converted over to diesel fuel. But, yeah. I had never been on, actually, I'm lying. I probably had to have been on, on one of these boats before to get to uh, Discovery Island when I was a kid. Yeah, probably the Southern Seas too. I mean, yeah, because I visited it as well. And I'm trying to remember how we got. I mean, we went from the contemporary launch over to Discovery Island. I mean, well, these um, boats, I mean, later on, they did launch yeah, I mean, they from the did hotel. Everywhere. So, yeah. I mean, That's the resorts. So it's very possible that you were on the, the Southern Seas too. Could have been. I don't know. know. We'll have to go back and find out. So, But if you've had any experience with the Southern Seas, one or two, or the Ports of Call, or the World Cruises, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Hotline, or the GOAT Line, at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. 
We would love to hear about your experiences. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Disney's Hollywood Studios From Showbiz to Your Biz by J. Jeff Kober. So it seems like you can find a billion books about running your business the Disney way. Tons of them, customer service, how to do things. We've even covered them before on the show. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not any good, but it's obvious that the Disney company itself is really held in high regards when it comes to customer service. People really talk about Disney. And lots of businesses want to capture the magic and the money, of course, of Disney. And there's a lot of books to choose from. So the latest release by Cobra, Disney's Hollywood Studios from Showbiz to Your Biz, is not your average, this is how Disney does it type business book. Cobert has worked at the Disney Institute before starting his own company, Performance Journeys, and he continues to write and speak about transforming your business. But it's not like every other Disney business book that you've seen out there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, we've both read many other, you know, make your business more like Disney books. I mean, they, yeah. they're all over the place. So, to be honest, when I first heard about this one, I wasn't entirely looking forward to it because I feel like the ground is, <laughs> you know, pretty well tread at this point. And mm -hmm. I really thought that Cobra really had to do something to make his stand out from the rest of them. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I think he really did do just that. And uh, despite writing about my <laughs> least favorite park, um, he actually does present what he's saying in a really interesting light. And instead of just, you know, listing things that Disney does, he actually takes you on a journey of the park itself. Um, mm -hmm. Again, unfortunate. I mean... Half day park, but he takes you on a journey of the park itself and relates it to business practices. Yeah, it's it was interesting because the previous book that we've covered is every um, it's uh, the wonderful world of customer service at Disney, so he really focused on that. And this one really takes a few steps away from that, and it, he sort of offers more generalities, but that's not really the right word I'm looking for. Uh, he's not as specific. Uh, Cobra does visit each attraction, shop, and restaurant at in the two hours. In <laughs> yes, uh, he does use FastPass um, at the studios, and he offers like a little bit of history. You know, either he's talking about something at the location, or something from the history of Hollywood, like actual Hollywood in California, that ties into the area. And it's got so many nerdy little details that are just so cool. I yeah. just love that part of the book. Absolutely. I was, you know, I was pleasantly surprised with some of the stories that he actually shared in the book. Um, most of them had to do with, you know, the very specific area, like, like Georgia said. But a few were, like, personal stories from Jeff himself that he was recounting from his time actually working for Disney. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at the each story, it kind of ties together nicely at the end. Uh, to whatever section of the park it's referring to. And then it's followed up by a handful of questions that kind of help to hone your business skills. Um, so they're not, it's not overly in your face, the business yeah. part. It's there at the end. So, you know, people who don't own their own business, I, I still think they can get something out of it, but, and they can also apply the questions to their oh. life in some ways too. But I, yeah. I did like that it wasn't, um, you know, part of the main narrative. It was just at the end. So you could skip it if you wanted to. Yeah, it's sort of like the questions made you think about the anecdote or the history and applying that to your own business, maybe giving you some thoughts. You know, it's it, it felt really light as far as a business book. But as I mentioned earlier, it's really nerdy when it comes to 
the histories and the details of the parks. Uh, I've known Cobra for years, and he really is at the top of his game when it comes to performance management and customer service. He's also a really great storyteller, and, and I think it really shows in this collection he's got of histories and anecdotes about the studios, uh, Hollywood, and the entertainment industry. I've enjoyed all of his other books too, but I was really surprised by a few things in this. And you know, don't take this as too negative, but you know, we found some typographical errors in the book. Um, it, it's something that I'll always forgive when it comes out of a small press, but there were quite a handful of errors in there. Uh, and and also, you know, Jeff, we talked about this. There were some call-out sections that were done in a really weird font that was almost impossible to read. Yeah. It was strange. It was very strange. I, I kind of, <laughs> I was, I mean, a couple of them I just skipped over completely because it was, the, the font, the script font was very hard to read in that form. Um, but, I mean, those uh, minor quibbles aside, I mean, the information in the book is great. Uh, is especially great for any Disney geeks out there, obviously you yeah. guys. And chances are you'll probably learn a thing or two because there were, you know, a handful of things that I didn't know before and it was kind of interesting to hear them related to that area. Oh, sure, especially somebody that's worked there for so long. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's it's an easy recommendation for both of us. Um, I think the book presents a lot of great information about the park itself. You know, not about touring the park, but about the areas and the history and how the history relates to the park, uh, even if not from the park itself. Uh, the chapters are really short, but they're packed with a ton of information, um, historical and anecdotal. Uh, and it's easy to say that most everyone that picks up a copy is going to learn something and enjoy the book itself. So I think it's something we both really recommend. We Absolutely. enjoyed it. I agree. Yeah, and we'll like it. So this week's book was Disney's Hollywood Studios, From Showbiz to Your Biz by J. Jeff Kober. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> now, if you remember way back to our history segment, <laughs> after the Southern Seas 2 was destroyed, plans were actually made up for a new class of steamboats. Now, this class was called the Orlando class. Again, another made-up Disney term, and very original on their part. Anyway, the steamboat was designed by Ben Ostland, who, uh, it, the boat itself would have a length of 140 feet, and it featured a dance floor on the first deck and an observation level on the roof, so it was pretty fancy. The bigger it got, the more fancy it got. Of course, it was never built, otherwise we would have been talking about it in the history segment. However, the next time you're at Port Orleans Riverside, take a walk over to the Boatwrights restaurant. The blueprints for this new ship can actually be seen on the back wall of the restaurant, the original blueprints. Not a copy, the original. Ooh, another, almost a five-legged goat within a five-legged goat within a five-legged goat. It's so many so goats. There's so much history here. The goatception. Bwom, bwom. No, it'd be bwom. See what we did there? Yeah, because we're smart. I don't want to go that far, George. Yeah, we shouldn't have probably recorded that. No. No. I'll no. edit that out. Okay, good, good. So nobody will ever hear it. it out, guys. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because you know they were about to do a really big boat and realized, oh no, nobody's gonna want to dance on a boat around the Seven Seas Lagoon or Bay Lake. I want to dance on a boat going around the Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake. Mm, that's true. And actually, there's a fantastic video if you search for it for the opening of Space Mountain uh, with Tommy Tunes is in it, 
and he dances on top of one of the ships. I'd have to look to see which one it is, and dances across some of the tops of the buildings uh, of Main Street USA. Really? It is one of the craziest things I've ever seen because I know Disney had no lawyers at that point in time then. Yeah, clearly, letting, there were no letting, safety laws or anything either. Tommy Toon dance on the top of a riverboat. Excellent. Well, check that out, cadets. Yes, Report exactly. back to us what you feel about that one. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching and listening to another one of our episodes. Yes, please leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes, please. Mm-hmm. You can always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And of course, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. We are getting a lot more likes uh, lately because I think we're doing more and more fun stuff on the Facebook page. Yes, so the, the theme dates guys. are fantastic. Yes. And what, what's the rundown? Mustache Monday, Mustache Tony Baxter. Monday, Tony Baxter okay. Tuesday, Ghost Whistle Wednesday, and okay. Flying Saucer Friday. Awesome. And so sometimes we make other ones up, and I throw them in there during the week, too. So, <laughs> Like Three Caballeros Thursday? I, I haven't thought of that one before. Totally going to do it now. Awesome. We didn't have a Thursday. Now I we need a Saturday and a Sunday. I, I almost made Thursday Gers Day because it kind of sounds the same. <laughs> Just a random picture of Bob Gurr. Why not? I have enough of them. Oh, um, that's true. That's true. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, well follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And Heimbuck, not Heimbuck. That's not Heimbuck. Heimbuck. And on you know any of those platforms, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, tell us what you'd like us to do for Saturdays and Sundays. Yes, please do. Unless Send us picture suggestions, too, especially on the Instagram. Ooh, That'd be great. That's true. Those are fun. Of course, you can give us a call on the CommuniCore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And don't forget, you can pick up your copy of CommuniCore Weekly, the musical, at CD Baby, Amazon, iTunes, or listen for free on Spotify. We just really want you to hear how George and Jeff saved the world. Of course. Speaking of things, you can also go to CommuniCore Weekly web store by visiting CommuniCoreWeekly.com and clicking on the store button and see all the cool shirts we have for sale. We got a lot of cool ones, guys. You should check them out. And I think some cool ones coming. Eh, yes. Yes, Well, they're unless working. they're in the future, then they're already there. Yeah. So if you're listening, listening to this like way ahead of time, don't be expecting more shirts because all the cool ones are already there. Yeah, they're already there. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. Oh, man. This gets so confusing at times. I know. Uh, especially because you're like a day and a half behind me in California, right? I am. I am. It's actually okay. uh, 1992 here. Wow. See, you hear that awesome. Prince CD? It's really good. <laughs> really good. Batman soundtrack? So good. <laughs> so good. Uh, anyways, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm the podcaster formerly known as Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. <laughs> we'll see you next time on CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show.